Welcome back to another episode of Rush Morons. I'm joined by Jonathan today. How's it going, Jonathan? How you doing, brother, man? Thanks for having me on the pod today. Excited to talk about 2000s movies. Let's talk 2000s movies. Let's talk about our, our top four, our Rushmore, if you will, of 2000s films. This is, uh, we're going to say from 2000 to 2009, or at least that's how I defined my decade. I don't know if you went to 2010. Some people do. Why don't you start us off with your first movie on your Mount Rushmore? Thank you, man. We're going to take it back. The land of 2008. They say Hollywood doesn't make great comedies anymore. There might be some truth to that, but you know, back in the 2000s, they did. And we're talking about one of them. We're talking about Tropic Thunder, the Ben Stiller, Robert Downey Jr., Jack Black film. I went back to watch this one probably two, three months ago. Really holds up in terms of just joke for joke. And it's a movie that is very offensive. You know, if you know, you know, shout out to RDJ. But it's a movie that's clearly laughing at itself. It's laughing at the seriousness that the film industry takes itself sometimes. It's laughing at, you know, these, you know, some might call pretentious or conceited actors. And it does a good job of just being a funny movie. I first watched the movie at the ripe age of 12 when I was definitely not old enough. And, you know, a thousand of the jokes went over my head. But it was still very funny to me at, at that age. And watching it again this past year, still hilarious, still holds up. Great performances. Like I said, you know, Ben Stiller kills it. Robert Downey Jr., Jack Black. You got Bill Hader in there. You got the impeccable Tom Cruise. You got Matthew McConaughey in there. Maria Menounos, she brings it. Every Everybody in that one. Nick Nolte, I can keep going. Everybody in that one brings it. And it shows. So that's my first pick. Well, it's good to know that it holds up well. I mean, 2008, that was 15 years ago, which is hard to believe. It's hard to say. 15 uh, years too late. I, I haven't seen Tropic Thunder, but I, I do remember when it came out. I mean, yeah, I definitely knew that it was not a movie I was going to be able to see until I was older. It was pretty obvious it was not meant for kids. Obviously, <laughs> you were, I guess, the exception to that. But uh, star-studded cast, that's like a stacked roster, all-star roster of of actors. That movie feels like it probably holds up, but it is also like, it's. it feels 2008, though, still, right? You know, it kind of feels 2000s. Exactly. Like you still get the, you know, the Blackberries and the flip phones. You still get the movies that rely on voiceover trailers, you know, this summer in a world, that kind of trailer. And like I said, like with the cast, it you know, Ben Stiller's heyday was 15 years ago, 15 or more years ago. Zoolander came out 22 years ago, which is crazy to say out loud. The cast of it, like I said, Tom Cruise, which I mean, Tom Cruise is still Tom Cruise. He's still he's still doing his thing. And he's still like the arguably the last true movie star. You know, Matthew McConaughey was just the rom-com guy back then. Bill Hader was just some scrappy guy on SNL back then. And, and you know, Jack Black was just the bigger, agile, funny guy back, back then. <laughs> and he still is. But regardless, regardless, you know, it was 08. So it was like, the same year as Iron Man, I can't remember if it came out before or after Iron Man, but, you know, Robert Downey Jr. was just, oh, that guy's super talented actor, you know, sketchy pass. But yeah, everyone just came together for a hilarious film on that one. Sounds like one I need to add to my list. Put that on there. That's my 2000s watch list. If you watch that, I'll watch Glory. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. You've already tried the frozen Pop-Tarts, so I owe you one, I yeah. guess. Well, so for my first one, I'm going to go a little earlier. I don't remember the year, actually. I didn't write that down. But I'm going to go with the only animated movie on my list. We're going to go Finding Nemo. Ooh, yes. This one was a tough one for me because there was a couple of Pixar movies that I... I feel like I could have done just four Pixar movies, honestly. There, there was a couple I was between. You probably could guess one of them. It's your favorite movie of all time, The Incredibles, was, <laughs> yeah. was on my final cut list. I said Finding Nemo, though, for the... Mount Rushmore of 2000 films, just because I think it came out before Incredibles. It came out before Cars, for sure, and mm-hmm. Up, and Wally, and that was kind of like the golden age, I would say, of Pixar movies. 
Yeah. Right. You know, exactly. Just, I mean, that's when I grew up. And so I guess that's why I would say it is. But I mean, in general, just that's kind of when it was getting huge. Though These were phenomenons. These were cultural phenomenons. Finding Nemo was early 2000s, but visually it is incredible. I mean, the way mm. the, it's beautiful, you know, it looks like you're in the ocean. They animate the like the way the sunlight, you know, reflects with the water, the ocean floor, the sea anemones. And all the yeah. fish, like it's a cartoon. There's cartoon fish and characters, right? But the the setting and like the movie itself <laughs> still looks good. And so, I mean, it holds up well. You know, animation hasn't always held up. I mean, I think like the first Toy Story, I rewatched that a couple years ago, and like it's still a good movie. But you can tell the animation has changed a lot since then. You no, know, you're right with Finding Nemo. Visually, it's gorgeous. Like you said, it's peak Pixar at the peak of their powers. Finding Nemo came out like '03, so you already had Toy Story one and two. I was gonna say ants. Excuse me, Bugs Life. <laughs> <laughs> the actual <laughs> bug movie for <laughs> and don't you forget it not the woody allen ripoff yeah <laughs> but yeah next year we're gonna get incredibles and it's like bro it's a cartoon fish why am i crying it's got some darkness to it especially at the start of it oh that's dude great pick man yeah they did the emotional lady dying before up did it finding nemo did it first yeah <laughs> it's an odd cast you know, you got Albert Brooks, you got Ellen DeGeneres, and she's coming off of her, you know, show, I guess, and is still kind of, she's pretty popular. You get like Jeffrey Rush and, and William Defoe. It's such a mm-hmm. weird cast of voice actors, but they're all very good voice actors and, and some very memorable characters with people still reference Dory now, you know, P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. You know, I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm blanking on other lines right now. You know, he touched the butt. There's so many <laughs> memorable lines from the movie that still are quoted now 20 years later. And it's one I remember, I remember watching it in theaters. Um, in fact, it might be the first movie that I remember seeing in theaters. And I think we went for my brother's birthday. And uh, I think we were like the only people in the theater, if I remember right. So it was just really cool. It's one that I've watched probably dozens of times since then too, you know, on VHS as a kid. One of my favorite Pixar movies, it, as you said, it's emotional. It's got some good lessons in it, some good stories in it, but also it's funny for mm-hmm. adults and kids. You know, that's what, that's what makes a good Pixar movie. It has to be funny for the adults as well. That's my first one, Finding Nemo. I'm going with, you know, I tried to break it up in terms of genre a little bit with my list. And I obviously it's it's week one of football season. We're both sports fans, so I had to go with the sports movie. Maybe not my favorite sports movie of all time. It's hard to say, but it's definitely up there. We're going with Adam Sandler's Longest Yard. 2005 this is what i call probably a perfect dvd movie one you have its rewatchability is phenomenal and i really want to say this i feel like the biggest reason it's so rewatchable is because like especially in the last game when it's the guards versus the convicts and all that stuff and they're actually playing the game the football is so good especially that last game great football scene it takes up probably what a third of the movie or so Maybe a little bit less, probably a fourth, but just good football. And you see pretty much the entire game. You see the storyline of the game and how Adam Sandler tries to blow, you know, the game for the convict to lower his sentence. Good football. We got to start there. Good football. But again, hilarious, hilarious film. You know, watched it definitely when I was too young for it, but that's okay. Phenomenal cast. I'm a bit of a stand-up comedy nerd. My favorite stand-up comedian is Chris Rock. This was like peak Chris Rock, this 2000 to 2008 run in terms of his personal stand-up career, uh, but also like his film stuff. I mean, this was his best role for me. Not his deepest, obviously. You know, he's, he's been a leading man in other things, but Chris Rock's great in it. Adam Sandler's, of course, great in it. Perfect side characters on the guard side and the convict side. I could talk about this movie all day. It, we got Michael Irvin. We got other former football players in this, man. It's the right kind of movie for the right kind of time. I'm glad it was part of our childhood. That's the second time we've talked about uh, The Longest Yard on this podcast. Go back yep. and check out, uh, I think, episode Episode two, episode one or episode two, uh, football movies. Something like that. That was on, I think, both of our lists, if I remember right. Talked about it there. So go check that out if you want a more in-depth discussion of The Longest Yard from 2005. That's a good movie. No, I, I agree. There was an odd period for sports movies. You kind of started getting to like less of the sports dramas 
and more of the sports comedies. Because mm-hmm. you had that. You had like Talladega Nights a couple of years later. Yeah. Um, could have been on my list. It's not, but I could have been on this Mount Rushmore, honestly. Yeah, like you said, great cast, fun side characters. We get some cool cameos, or not really cameos even, just Goldberg. Like, a great yeah, colleague, shout true. out WWE fans. <laughs> yeah, really mm-hmm. just a great cast. Yeah, like I like that pick. For my second one, I am also going with a comedy, a little bit different comedy than uh, Longest Yard the, or, or Traffic Thunder. I'm going to go with uh, 2004 cult classic Napoleon Dynamite. Nice. So you've seen Napoleon Dynamite, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. Good. So this is a movie that I didn't realize this until a lot later after I watched it as a kid. This is a very polarizing film for people. You either hate it or you love it. And I'm in the vein. I love this movie. Kayla, my wife, does not. She hates it. She thinks it's not funny at all. I think that's so interesting to me. I don't know why. It's like nobody's really in the middle. You either love the movie or you just despise it and think it's not funny at all. It's kind of just a different type of movie from this time it was kind of it was indie kind of an indie independent company relatively unknown actors i mean john reese has been in some stuff john hater's been in a few things up to that point it was a lot of small time actors it's such a weird movie you know it's like the town is like stuck in the 1980s so there's kind of like this 1980s aesthetic with the clothing and the settings or the, the sets but it takes place in 2004 in idaho so quirky it's just so random and there's not even really like jokes in the film, you know, it's not like they have punchlines. It's just random quotes and lines that people still quote, and, you know, they're just funny. You know, vote for Pedro and Tina, you fat lard, come get some dinner. They're, these aren't really <laughs> jokes, but they're just hilarious lines. I mean, to me, they're hilarious lines. It's such a fun movie. I think it's kind of, you know, it's got some wholesomeness to it too. For me, it's a comfortable movie. It's just comforting to watch. I can sit down, hour and a half, whatever, two hours it is. I know what's happening. I could rewatch it probably a million times though and never get tired of it. Another thing that I've learned about it too, and I don't know if you've heard of this, I don't think it's on Netflix anymore, but it used to be on Netflix. There's the Netflix algorithm for recommendations, right? Where if you like a film or dislike a film, supposedly it's supposed to recommend you films similar. But Napoleon Dynamite has been a challenge for them, I guess, for Netflix for the algorithm. It just doesn't fit into the rest of the movies in like the recommendations because it's such a just kind of niche film. It doesn't really compare to anything else. And it, I think it's like, you'd have people that would love the movie, but everything else that they liked might be like action genre films, you know, and then vice versa. You'd have people that would say they hate it, but they might like other comedy films. That, so like it had a hard time recommending movies, kind of boring to other people, I guess. But I think that's interesting. It's just, it's such a unique movie that the Netflix recommendation algorithm just had a hard time figuring out what to do with it and how to recommend it to people. It's one of my favorites of all time. And definitely one of my favorite 2000 movies. Napoleon Dynamite's crazy because even thinking about that period of movie making, it wasn't a period where like indie movie like that could really breathe and find legs because we were still in the DVD run. So it's like a big movie could not be great at the box house, but have its DVD sales and then it'd be fine there was a lot more chances we talked about with comedies like you can make edgier comedies or or comedies that might not find their footing with most audience because you know what shoot you know we'll put it out we'll see what happens and if it it all flops we'll get some dvd sales for a movie like napoleon dynamite especially like pre because i want to say it came out maybe oh you said oh four yeah i think that's pre-youtube real youtube so it's not like oh yeah we watched a funny clip from napoleon dynamite or something like that that went viral and no it just was like word of mouth bro you gotta check out this movie i remember people talking about that to my older brothers even myself like oh have you seen napoleon dynamite it's so funny and it's like wait what is this yeah, i remember the first time i watched it because i'd heard so many people recommend it i was like oh this must have been some great movie that i just missed and got all these people in it no i had seen john Hader after that because of the success of that movie well as i was watching i was like i don't know you i don't know you i don't know you i don't know you like what is this no it's really impressive you know like you said you love it or hate it it's hilarious i love it i love what it's trying to do i love the little everyone talks about the dancing scene at the end everything that does the tater tots are ruined it's a good time 
the tater tots. I mean, Kip talking to LaFonda online. Honestly, that was ahead of its time, kind of. I mean, that's mm-hmm. if it was made in 2023, he'd be on Tinder or whatever. That's hilarious. Of course, Uncle Rico, that's probably the most memorable. I mean, that might be the most long living part of this film. People still, especially mm-hmm. sports fans, you know, football fans love to quote Uncle Rico. Gardner Minshew a couple years ago, you know, Jacksonville Jaguars, elite quarterback. People compared him because <laughs> he had the mustache and the hair. And it's one of those that's uh, it's almost 20 years old. And it's it definitely feels 2000s, right? I mean, it definitely, you can tell it was made for in sure. That time. But it still holds up now. Man, I need to rewatch that now. Talking about that. It's been a while. So I have Finding Nemo and Napoleon Dynamite so far. What's your third one? All right. So far, we got Tropic Thunder, Longest Yard. And now we're going back to 2008, back to Robert Downey Jr. We're going to Iron Man 1. I was debating between this and actually, I don't say I like this movie a lot because, you know, the movie has a stigma especially amongst people close to me. I love the film Brokeback Mountain. People know about it as a gay cowboy movie, and that's exactly what it is. I'm also here to say it's a very good movie. That's all I'm saying. That's <laughs> we're, we're, going, we're talking about Iron Man 1. As people know, it set the mold for all the Marvel movies that came behind it, and it did a great job at that. Do I think there's better Marvel movies? Yes. But I think in terms of its impact and just as a solo Iron Man movie, because Iron Man was a comic book character most people have heard before. Definitely not as big as Captain America, Thor, Spider-Man. It had a jump to take Hulk. It wasn't as popular casually. But now Iron Man is just as as much of a household as those guys. That's all due to the success of this movie. But the movie, I mean, it's sharp. You know, Robert Downey Jr. was born to play Tony Stark. But I mean, yeah, it knows when it'd be a little more serious. Like the first half of that movie or the first like third or so when he's stuck in that cave that's intense stuff and making it a 2000s movie it's got that like gritty yellow tint that you'll see in some of those war movies of that era like black hawk down does it to a higher stream but like that you know yellow tinted gritty look of war it's got a bit of that it created a lane and a formula for what we know as a comic book movie even like new editions like blue beetle you see threads of Iron Man in pretty much every comic book origin story since then no I agree that's uh it wasn't on my list, but I mean, everything you said is correct. I mean, it, it basically kicked off the MCU, which is the biggest franchise of all time. I mean, of, of any movie franchise or really any IP of, of all time, really. I mean, I guess technically you could say the whole kicked it off, but nobody watched that. So Iron Man was the first <laughs> big one. And yeah, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. made to play Iron Man, kills it in the role. The right mix of comedy and still action. I haven't watched it in a long time. I need to go back and, and watch it again. To me, it's the best of the Iron Man movies, definitely. For as old as it is, it still holds up well, I think. Great, good storyline, good dialogue. It's it's a good movie. I, I agree with you. It's definitely like a uh, historic film too. You know, it has it's meaningful for that reason for what it did for the superhero genre. And visually, it still holds up great. The action scenes. Everyone's seen that scene where he shoots that little rocket and it like goes into the tank and then he walks away and blows it up. That scene still looks great, even by today's standard. Yeah, this is the same era as the Transformers. Yeah, Michael Bay Transformers, which looked not as good. So like, this is props to them for making it look at least cool. You know, it doesn't look lame. Do better, Transformers. I know. In the same vein, though, I mean, talking about movies that really kind of set up the superhero genre for superhero films. I'm going to say 2008. We're going to go with the other great superhero movie of that year. And in my mind, the greatest superhero movie of all time, The Dark Knight. Let's start there. I mean, the soundtrack, phenomenal. I mean, the acting, Heath Ledger as the Joker is one of the greatest acting roles of all time. I think Christian Bale is a good Batman, even if the voice, you know, people make fun of the the deep voice and stuff, whatever. I think he does a good job as as Batman. I think he's the best actor who's played both Batman and Bruce Wayne, I think. Agreed. Uh, I think Ben Affleck did a good Batman. I don't think he did a good Bruce Wayne. And a solid cast. I mean, Michael Caine, Heath Ledger, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Aaron Eckhart. I feel like I'm missing somebody really obvious, but... Oh, Gary Oldman. Maybe Morgan Freeman? Commissioner uh, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, Morgan Freeman, Lucius Fox, Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon. So it, it looks great. You know, it's dark. This very gritty superhero film, which was not something that had been seen really before. 
and, and really hasn't mm-hmm. been seen really since then. I, mean, I know people talked about the recent, the Batman and Joker movies were kind of gritty and dark, but this was the first of its kind to really do that or to really be popular. I guess Watchmen kind of did it too, but it wasn't as popular. Not just a good superhero movie though. I mean, it's a good film, even if you don't like superhero movies. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of good themes in it of morality and just visually it's very fun to watch just looks great you know the action scenes are phenomenal the car chase or bike chase i don't know what you call i guess the batmobile chase when they're chasing the joker and they're like he's blowing up stuff and there's the 18 wheeler that flips over (laughs) apparently that's like that was a they actually flipped it over like it was a real truck christopher nolan he didn't want to use cgi i guess christopher nolan will do anything to not use cgi ever it's Respect. And he's one of the greatest directors of all time. I mean, that's so it works for him. Props to him for that. Cause I think that's what makes it cool too. Like it feels like it's just this on the ground. I'm sure they have stunt people, but it just feels like the actors are just kind of going through this and like it's all happening, you know? It's a sequel too, which I think sometimes you tend to forget. Mm-hmm. It is a sequel to Batman Begins. But it's the best movie of the trilogy. And it really even is like it's a standalone film, it would work as a standalone Batman film. Yeah, I love it. It's so cool. It's such a fun movie. Yeah, Christopher Nolan, one of his best. I like Christopher Nolan a lot. You have this uh, Inception, Interstellar kind of couple years run for him. This, to me, probably is one of the best films of all time, let alone superhero films of all time. One of the most quotable movies of all time. It tells you how good of a movie that is. There's been, I think, two or three different Jokers since that movie. And when people do the Joker voice, it's always in the vein of... Heath Ledger. It's always the, you want to know how I got these scars? The Heath Ledger kind of Tom Waits style a rasp in that voice. And I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. People still go back to that character, that version of Batman. And you mentioned like the Robert Pattinson Batman. Robert Pattinson's Batman, it walks on the bridge that Christopher Nolan's Batman built. That's just the bread and butter of it. 2008, we, it's three of our movies have been from that year. And it's funny because that's kind of like the, I was 10 years old, 2008. That's kind of like my first memories of being aware of pop culture and you know, popular movies and how they were popular popular and culture, you know, society. It's hard to understate just how big the Dark Knight was as a cultural phenomenon. Because you had, mm-hmm. like like you mentioned, the Joker. People still will, you know, do those impressions now for years. And even now you still see, like, the Joker costumes at Halloween is still very popular yeah. i mean there's that joke in like the office where creed and, and kevin both dress up as the heath Ledger joker you know kevin's like i stayed up all night yeah just a huge cultural phenomenon though at the time that era it really just kind of stayed important for it seemed like years afterwards people still would talk about it and even after the third one dark knight rises came out it just still felt like the dark knight was like just as popular as it was when it came out so yeah just a huge very important movie and to me it's like you can't tell the story of the 2000s without of the 2000s and in, in anything let alone film just telling the story of the history of the 2000s i feel like the dark knight has to be in there good point yep we're i think we're both down to our final movie yeah my last one it's gonna be a bit of a personal pick rather than a, a legacy pick going over again we got tropic thunder longest yard iron man one and then we're going to mark Wahlberg's 2003 italian job now if someone were to ask me between the years of 2017 actually between the years of 2011 and 2022 I would say this was my favorite movie. I will say this right now. There is nothing particularly amazing about this movie. You know, no offense to Marky Mark. He's not necessarily an Oscar level actor, but that's okay. I still love him. We got Charlize Theron in here. We got Edward Norton Jr. in here. Back when he was Edward Norton Jr., not just Edward Norton. I don't know why I dropped the Jr. Family's tough. I get it. We got Mos Def in here. We got Jason Statham. We got Seth Green. I think I like it because, simply put, it's just a very comforting 2000s flick just a simple heist movie got a little bit of comedy a little bit of romance but nothing special the plot's not gonna you know you're not gonna be thinking about the plot four days after 
it's pretty straightforward. They steal some money, they steal some gold bars, and they drive away. There's a little intensity in there, but that's pretty much all that happens. And I love it. I'm all here for it. In terms of its 2000-ness, you still get the 2000s look in terms of, obviously, like the vehicles and stuff like that. Seth Green, as a tech guy, he's the guy, he claims that he's the real one who created Napster. For all our fans out there who remember Napster, you know, very 2000s. It's still got the 2000s thing, too, of the movies where, like, you know, if you have one genius tech guy, if anything's connected to computer, he can hack it. Whether it's a camera or a safe or a, a child's play toy, it doesn't matter. <laughs> a little Yamaguchi. It, it, <laughs> I'm in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I got in the mainframe. It, he's going to get in the mainframe. It's just, it, does he need five seconds or five minutes? He's going to bypass the, the firewall. Says, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, they're fighting my firewall with the other firewall. I better. With that hasn't died. Capacity. That trope is still around now. So that, that's definitely stayed around. Yeah, he can enhance any image. It's all these like 2000s things that just flew in those movies and I'm all here for it. So it's a comfort pick. Again, I'm not going to lie, but it's my fourth one on this Mount Rushmore. Heist movies are hard to really like mess up. I love a good heist movie. Yeah. <laughs> There's still a lot, Italian job included, I need to watch still. I know it's on my list. Heist movies, mafia movies, like those are just hard to get wrong. You feel like they're just mm-hmm. fun. They're always fun. I am going to go with a another movie that I feel like I wouldn't put this one in my list of really favorites, but I think for its significance culturally, I think it has to be mentioned, and that's Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. It's not my favorite Harry Potter movie, but I feel like it has to be on the Mount Rushmore, like I said, for the fact that it was the first one. It was really this, I mean, Harry Potter was, we talked about like The Dark Knight, how big that was huge. Harry Potter was bigger. It was huge. I mean, like the MCU now, huge at the time. The books were huge. I was really too young to know what this was at the time. I was three years old. So I can't say that like I was experiencing this at the time, but I just, even years after, like every sequel that came out was still huge. Everybody was watching these movies and reading these books and it was like everywhere. I actually had to look it up because I at first I wasn't going to have this on my list because I thought it came out in 2000, or, uh, 1999. I thought it was a 90s movie for some reason, but it did come out in 2001. So right. it counts. And like, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really feel 2000s because it's set like in Hogwarts, which feels kind of medievalish, I guess. So there's not really like a lot of, of it, like a time machine type feel where like you definitely see these things that like a BlackBerry phone or, you know, whatever. You don't really see that. But at the same time, you can tell that it is like the early, you know, it was a little older because obviously the kids look younger. Things just look like the camera does look a little different than like, you know, the camera quality is different, the color and stuff. Again, it's probably not the strongest film of the Harry Potter series, but it was the first one. So it started off this chain of what, a decade? I mean, when did the second head Deathly Hallows come out? Like 2013, 14, maybe? So you had like like 10, 15 years of, Harry Potter basically being the biggest thing in the world for movies and film. I mean, Sorcerer's Stone, it does have some cool moments still, you know, or some memorable moments. I still think the chess, the giant chess game that they play is awesome. So cool. It's so cool to see it. Like it's, and I don't, I don't think they do like CGI or anything. It's just like they animate it or they somehow made it work. I still think that seeing Voldemort's head and you know face in the back of the professor's head, I don't remember his name. Yeah. Like that's, that still freaks me out to this day. That was freaky at the time and still kind of creepy it looks cool too yeah so i mean say harry potter and the sorcerer's stone is my fourth one just for what it means for for what it meant for like pop culture at the time and even now for the whole harry potter series and for franchises to really kind of become a thing 
like a huge thing being kind of all the rage for Hollywood. Really one of the first to do that. So Yeah, and that was pretty impressive too because you know the movies were solid. The Harry Potter movies was it was a good movie series. But it wasn't like some, you know, it wasn't like Lord of the Rings where like Lord of the Rings, the last one got like 11 Oscars, highly critical acclaimed and financially successful. Like, but the Harry Potter series just raked in money for WB. Of course, they're going to make nine of them. <laughs> and and then a prequel series like it's just, just baked in money. You know, us millennials just loved it. We, we just ate that stuff up. Yeah, take my money. Yeah, <laughs> Of course, you can sell the toys and there's Harry Potter world and there's. Like you said, the prequels and I mean they had the, le- games the Lego games, the Lego games. Yeah, I mean it just raked. It brought in a lot of money for J.K. Rowling, so props for her, I guess. But uh, <laughs> it made Daniel Radcliffe a star, it made Emma Watson a star, it made I guess not really Rupert Grant a star. He's not really a star, but he was Ron Weasley, so it made him at least recognizable. It is funny you mentioned Lord of the Rings, so that's actually one of my honorable mentions. I really wanted to put it on my list, you know, Fellowship of the Ring or or any of them, probably either Fellowship of the Ring or Return of the King, especially since Return of the King is probably the best of the three. I left it off only because I felt like it was between this that Harry Potter, and I do think Harry Potter is just a bigger franchise. I mean, Lord of the Rings is great. Mm-hmm. I'd say, actually, for me, it's more enjoyable to watch those than Harry Potter now as an adult. But Harry Potter was huge. It's just, it's a bigger franchise. It's just more recognizable, more widely known. So for me, that gave it the edge. But if I had to give, like, if there's a fifth president on Rushmore, I'd say it's Lord of the Rings, either Fellowship of the Ring or Return of the King. Take your pick. No, I feel that. My honorable mentions, Mean Girls. I don't know any girl that grew up in the 2000s that doesn't love Mean Girls. So I know that's a huge cultural touchstone. I remember in high school, there was actually Pink Wednesdays. It led to a fight. It was ugly. They had to stop it. But, you know, that was the thing. My other honorable mention was Dark Knight Riot, or Dark Knight, excuse me. I also thought about maybe Matrix, but I just don't, like, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, and I don't, like, really love the movie that much. And I will say, to Matrix's credit, I, I think every movie after it did the bullet time thing for a little bit. It had its impact, for sure. I'm happy with mine. Yeah, it was the Matrix might have been 90s, 99. But it's in that time oh, frame. Oh, I guess you you might be right, yeah. But it's, it's close enough. I mean, it was every single show and movie would rip that off or parody that. I think kind of the common theme, I'm, I think we can sum up this episode is 2000s movies that still, like you mentioned Mean Girls, that's still quoted all the time now, right? It's still 20 years later. Like people quote it all the time on social media and stuff. And you see the, the screenshots and the memes and stuff. It's like these movies that we've mentioned are ones that still are just as memorable now as they were 20 years ago, 15 years ago because of... The characters, the dialogue, the jokes and the lines that like still are quoted and brought up today and people will probably never forget them. That's what sets those apart. I think there's a lot of really good movies from the 2000s. You know, there's just some that I I couldn't probably quote to you. You know, they're just not as memorable. So Mm -hmm. I think we both have really solid lists. I think this is fun. I think we're about to do this for other decades because it seems like it's going to be hard to do and it is hard to do. But like when you just look at the 10 year, like just a decade and like try to define that decade with movies like we talked about this, it was a lot of pop culture moments, a lot of culturally significant films that just made an impact on the world. I think it'd be fun to do that for some other decades. So there might be a future future episodes. We might go to some other decades. I have to have you back on because you're kind of our resident film buff, I'd say. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining me today, Jonathan. It was a lot of fun. Do appreciate you having me, man. See you next time. I'm excited. We'll see you all next time.